Good morning. Please join me in prayer. God, source of all light, by your word, give light to our lives. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 14, 1 through 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to be here with you this morning. Like I said, uh, I'm Caleb Davis, Pastor Caleb, uh, and I'm going to be continuing the sermon series that you all started last week uh, for the season of Lent. As Chris explained last week, uh, Lent is all about exchanging something. You know, Paul says in Romans 1 that all of humanity has exchanged the truth about God for a lie and has worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever blessed. So Lent is resistance to this sinful human regime where we set up our own idols. In Lent, we practice exchanging created things for God himself to worship and serve our creator. We reverse what's happening in the fall. And God gave himself for us. So that's our motivation to be able to give up things in exchange for him. You'll notice that we should actually be doing this every day of our lives, right? But if we're honest, we fail to do that. And so in Lent, we can actually have this intentional time where we get together as a community and together as disciples of Jesus, we practice this exchanging of good things for the better thing, which is God himself. And so in continuation of the series, um, we are letting go and exchanging false images of Jesus in exchange for who Jesus says he truly is. And that's where we find ourselves in our passage. I grew up in a uh, small town out in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Now, yeah, yeah, where I grew up, um, Oklahoma was actually, uh, became a state in 1908, so it's very late in time compared to here. And the whole city was planned, set out on square mile, like a grid, one square mile grids. The whole city is laid out that way. It's just one big grid. So where I grew up, out in, you know, the boondocks, uh, every intersection looked the same, right? You get to an intersection, it looks the same as the next one, as the next one, as the next one. Well, there was this one night, I was driving home in my early 20s, and I pulled up to a stop sign, and I stopped, and I sat there, and I sat there, and I'm looking around, and I have no idea where I am totally lost. And, and here's the crazy thing. I had been to this intersection hundreds of times before, but all of a sudden what was familiar, it was dark. I couldn't figure out where I was. 
And I kind of started to freak out a little bit. I, I was getting anxious, like, what's wrong with me? What's happening? I, I, there's something crazy. So I'm starting to feel really troubled at this point. And I, I just decide, okay, I'm just going to turn right, see what happens. So I just go, I turn right, I go down a little ways, I get to another intersection, and all of a sudden, boom, I know where I'm at. And I realize where I was, too, right? It's this crazy thing uh, that's happened every once in a while, um, Maybe that hasn't happened to you. Maybe this weird thing hasn't happened to you. But have you ever been in a place that was unfamiliar, where you're totally lost? Yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't know where you are. It can be incredibly troubling to be in that situation, to experience that, especially if you're little. And as strange as the story may seem, I, I really do think that the disciples find themselves in a place with Jesus that's just like that. Um, This statement that he gives that's now iconic and easily recognizable, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is actually in a time of deep distress for the disciples. And I think we're going to get more clarity and the intent behind what Jesus is meaning here if we take a step back and we look at the setting and we look at what's happened. So let's go back. Let's look at John 13 real quick. I'm just going to walk you through this. We rewind and see that the disciples have sat down with Jesus in an upper room to celebrate the Passover, a very familiar thing to do. They did it every single year. However, this Passover has been very, very strange. Jesus gets up in the middle of the meal, removes his rabbi's robes, and dons on the towel of a servant. And he begins to wipe and clean his students' feet. And we know from Peter's protest that they become quite disoriented about what's happening. The strangeness continues. Jesus returns to the table and starts trembling. Very odd. And then he announces that one of them would betray him. Talk about an awkward silence. After some private signaling, a few words are exchanged. The betrayer leaves. And then Jesus announces that he's leaving and they can't come follow him. They're his disciples. They're supposed to follow him. He says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. What is this? He, he's referring to when he talked to the Jews at seven chapters back. He's in a crowd of um, hecklers who are you know, going after him and he tells them that I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. They're totally disoriented, right? They don't know what this is about. Is he going to a foreign country? What's happening here? And the disciples feel the exact same thing. So Simon Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? Perfectly reasonable question, I think. But Jesus doesn't tell them outright. He doesn't tell any of them yet. Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. (laughs) Classic Peter, doesn't quite know himself. Then Jesus replied, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So that sets up the passage for what we just heard read. Jesus has totally disoriented his disciples by behaving like a foot-washing servant boy, creating a really awkward scene, trembling, making this 
cryptic betrayal announcement. Um, now he's saying he's leaving. They can't come. He doesn't tell them where he's going. And now the top student is a denier. I mean, if I was a disciple sitting in that room, I think I would feel very similar to how I was sitting at that intersection. Lost, anxious, troubled. Something that should have been familiar is totally foreign. So isn't it fitting and so wise and loving that it's right here Jesus stops and addresses their hearts. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust God, right? Trust me too. You know, when do we ever really know what God is doing? So much of life is disorienting. We don't get it. We have a hard time seeing God's hand and that's exactly why he asks us to trust his heart. If we know he's good, we'll trust him, right? That's how children are to relate to their parents. They don't understand the healthiest way to respond is trust. So Jesus even calls them here, my children, right? Helping them to make the connection that they're to think the same way toward him. So this prepares us for what's coming next. Jesus is going to explain how trusting him will lead them out of anxiousness, trouble, into life, joy, and peace. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that weren't true, I, would have, I wouldn't have told you this, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you so that you will be with me where I am. You know the place where I am going. This is so good, church. And I wish I had hours to just unpack all of the precious jewels and diamonds that are here. And I encourage you to do this in your own time, to spend time meditating on this. But Jesus here lays out exactly what's going on. His students can't see it yet. Thomas asks him, Lord, so this verse, this statement Jesus makes is his answer to our deepest doubts, right? to our most disturbing confusions and heart-wrenching anxiety. That's where this verse comes. It's not a proof text for defending Jesus, you know, how he's better than all the other religions, although that's true. No, this is a reality that you and I need to hear, to trust in, to endure the struggles and trials of life. So you might say, Pastor Caleb, where, where do we go from here? I mean, it's a simple statement, trust him. Um, how do I do that? How do I begin anew to receive comfort from Jesus' words that he's the way, the truth, and the life? So I want to spend the rest of our time looking at that. And I have a couple questions for you. What are you anxious about right now? What in your life causes you stress when you think about it, when your mind drifts? What keeps you up at night? What makes your workplace or home a source of fear and anxiousness? I want you to bring that to your mind this morning. Now, in that anxiety, what are you afraid to lose? Is it a loved one? Your reputation? Some possessions? Some provision? Will you hear Jesus this morning? He has room for you in his heart. He is making room for you 
in heaven. There's a way out of fear, out of anxiety, into full joy, and it's Jesus. It's by having faith in him. By fixing your eyes on Jesus, seeing what he has done for you, the anxiety and the troubles that he suffered for you to the point of shedding his own blood, by bringing that reality into clear focus in your mind, you will find a way to have fellowship with God, a way to life and peace. And this is not a wild, desperate leap. Faith is confidence grounded in reality, the things unseen. So will you trust him? Will you make him your treasure in the same way he has treasured you? You know, a penny will look bigger than the sun if you hold it close enough to your eye. That's not the reality. So will you continue to hold created things closer to you than God, to where they seem bigger? Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust him. Treasure him. Hold him closer because he's the way out of all of the struggles and anxieties of life. Every other path out will only lead you more and more lost in confusion and anxiety. As it has been said, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Do you have doubts? What are those doubts? Do you think you're too sinful? For God to keep that room for you? Do you struggle to believe that God really cares about the problems in your life? Or perhaps you doubt that your circumstances could ever change. What's true? What should you believe? Jesus is the truth. It's him. Will you trust him? He took the penalty for your sin. You see, he became the curse. He took it onto himself. He bore the wrath that was meant for you and me, all of it, so that there's no more for us who trust in him. Past, present, and future, it's all done. Will you trust him? He's promised that he will be with you every minute until the end of time. And right now, he is more interested in and more concerned about your parenting, your marriage, your singleness, your job, your family health, loneliness, more concern than you could imagine. He did not come to observe us. He came to suffer with us and for us. And he promises to transform us so that in our inner being, we can have confidence as we face life's circumstances. He remains true to you because he is the truth. What is your life? Another question for you. What is your life? Does it amount to the sum of your possessions? Is it the health and unity of your family? Um, my wife uh, isn't here this morning. She's been gone for the last two weeks uh, with her family in Seattle. Um, her sister just had a baby. And I came home, you know, the first couple days and just realized how different my life is without her. How strange it is to come home to a more empty home. And the things that I do in life, it's all different, right? Because when you get married, your life gets mixed together. Now, I love my wife dearly, but it would be detrimental to ever fully define my life in terms of her life. Why is that? Well, because she's not God. 
Jesus' claim is that he is the life. His love, his grace, his action on our behalf, that's where he invites us to see ourselves, to see our lives wrapped up in his life. That's what happens when you get married. Your whole life gets mixed together, but that's just a picture meant to help us connect more deeply with the reality that Jesus is our life. All other sources of life will fail you. People die. Possessions decay or are stolen. Reputations and legacies fade with time to fools and chance. So I ask you to bring up in your mind that mental picture of what your life is. Does that picture revolve around Jesus or created things? Does your life amount to people and possessions or is Jesus your life? So have you felt a growing distance between you and God in the past week? Do you sense now the spirit moving in your heart to hear and be renewed to respond to the words of Jesus for your anxiety, your doubts, and your idolatry? Even now, to seek him while he may be found by submitting your mind, soul, and body to him. He promises in his word that if we seek him, We will find him if we seek him with all of our heart. That's Jeremiah 29. If you start the process of seeking Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, but you do it half-heartedly, you can have no confidence that you will find him. But if you seek him with all of your heart, there is nothing in your life or in your psyche that will stop you from finding him, or rather from letting him let you find him. You will find that he is, in fact, not far from you. But as is so often the case, we are the ones who are far from him. I want to close by reading from Psalm 31 for you. And I encourage you to meditate on this psalm as a way to apply Jesus' comforting statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life, to apply that to your heart and soul. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. So rescue me from the power of my enemies and my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your covenant love. And so love the Lord, all you his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, but fully repays the arrogant. Be strong, And let your hearts be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. So, Jesus, we come to you now. We bring our concerns in life before you. We bring our idols before you, the things that we hold so much closer. And we ask you to take them. Help us to relate to them in more appropriate ways, to where they seem small and you seem so much larger. Because that's the reality. Lord, help us to enter into more confidence in the reality of your presence and the reality of your promises and your power to change our hearts. So give us that power and that ability even now, we ask in your name. Amen.